Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is uh, Monday, the 15th of March, 2021. <laughs> and it is time, I think, I guess, for Afternoon Combat. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and all the way from Washington, D.C., I say hello. The gentleman on the other side of the screen, he is the Puerto to my Rico. He is the Dominican to my Republic. He is the <laughs> Motel to Seis. Desde Motel Seis from Puerto Rico. Uh, it's BC. Hi, BC. It's a nice hotel you're staying in there. <laughs> Luke, you, both you and the, the viewers and the listeners are showing tremendous restraint from my situation. So I could just thank you for that. Uh, but, you know, all the tweets I've been getting as I've been swearing out Islanders over the past hour of, of Fire J. God doesn't even work here, people, okay? Put put it on me. This is BC's fall. Uh, we're, we're here, though, Luke. Skyrockets in flight. Afternoon. Afternoon delight. Delight. You know that song's about, um... Yeah. Is it getting high? No, it's about, like, like, uh, Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger, right? It's about, you know, yeah. I'm glad uh, your eye is on the prize, BC. As all the way from <laughs> yeah. Puerto Rico, you're still making jerk-off motions to our camera after being four and a half hours late. I'm glad you really seem to understand the gravity of the moment. Good job. Look, I have nothing but nice things to say about the people of Puerto Rico. They've been through a lot. Yeah, but Puerto Rico itself, what do you, 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 you can just leave it, huh? Just sink it into the ocean. BC is discovering what all of us who have traveled from Latin America have learned, which is they don't give a fuck about your American timelines. Yes. At all, bro. At all. Reservations are at seven. They'll be there at nine. And you'd be like, you look at them like, dude, how is it you function? Like, isn't it just easier as a society to function where if you say you're going to be there at noon, you show up at noon and you do things in a way that, you know, you're not wasting any time. You can go do something else. No, dude, they don't see it that way. And they no, never they are don't. They, see it that way. And that's fine, Luke. And luckily, like I said, you know, like the drink, the great drinking episode, you had no, no regard for, for grace or patience of my travel woes. I'm very happy. I thought I would be logging in right now to, to, to some Canadian guy sitting in my chair. But I'm glad that we're still doing this. All the people at Malka and CBS and Showtime have waited on me. I'm here. I'm safe. Let's go. Okay, bro? Let's why do you, this. Why don't you tell the viewers what you did to the poor gentleman who tried to get your car? <laughs> did he try, though, Luke? Did he really try to get me a car? All right. He tried. <laughs> did he? He tried hard for that region. Yes. <laughs> did I did I tell him where he could stick it, Luke? That is, I don't know. I don't. You know, maybe one day I'll reveal that conversation. I do apologize for my well, actions. Though. As, we, as okay. the producers and I were discussing before you got here, I bet he really took your lecture to heart. Like, you know what, that gringo, he's on to something about doing things quicker. We should we should listen to that. You know, I'm sure that's exactly what he was telling himself. So good job. Uh, Look, I, hope, to get I to. hope I hope to have a much better shot, you know, because that's the bathroom right there. So hopefully we'll get a better shot in the future. But uh, you know, we're putting this McDonald's Wi-Fi together with a uh, cut and paste uh, glue, and uh, we're ready to go. Morning combat, afternoon style. Yes. All right. So we have a lot to get to. We have the UFC show that it was weird over the weekend. 
David Benavidez won, which was nice. Had a fight of the year contender, maybe. Uh, and we've got some other Luke, news. Luke, to get fight to of my lifetime contender, okay? Can you stop underselling that, underscoring right, it so already? Fight of your lifetime contender. And then on top of that, we had a death that we'll have to get to as well. But let's start things off if we can. Well, before we get to the ABC, uh, as you know, this is a Showtime product. So if you want to try Showtime, although we are from CBS Sports, you certainly may. Showtime.com, get a 30 day free trial if you like it. You can keep it. If not, go do something else. $4.99 for the first six months if you sign up for Bellator. Uh, let's see what else we got merch. I don't have any merch on me. I don't think uh, BC's got some, although you can't get that necessarily in our version of the of the uh, the merch store. But store.show.com if you want hats, shirts, mugs, beanies, tumblers, the whole nine yards. It's a great place to go. And uh, yeah, that's about it. All right, BC, you want to get this party started, good sir? Yes, yes. Thank you. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Super, super clean way to travel. All you know. Dialed in emotionally. Let's get this party started. Topic number one, BC, from the weekend. Leon Edwards had a um, a strange return to the octagon. It was about two years away, and it ends with, what was it, a first round eye poke? Uh, just a complete and total disaster. BC, what is the UFC, UFC excuse me, supposed to do with this division with the title shot with leon edwards what do you say wow does this mean Bilal muhammad is your new ufc bantamweight champion luke i haven't done the math and connected the dots <laughs> not quite uh, yet enough, no right? <laughs> um look i think we do obviously have a larger problem with eye pokes and the whole idea of you know the pride gloves seem to have a better handle on that the trevor whitman inspired gloves that the ufc won't won't buy into because they have a deal with whoever's making these finger assault ones are it's unfortunate luke we wanted leon edwards after what a year and a half two years to finally get back in there we'd seen his fights with chamaya fall apart multiple times for reasons beyond his control and then good old Bilal muhammad luke uh uh, you know, just trying to stay busy and stay opportunistic and save a main event, and the guy gets a you know a finger to the back of his soul. I mean, um, I don't really know what to say, Luke. Um, you know, Edwards was warned, but it it seemed accidental. It's part of the game. It what happens? I think long term UFC is going to have to look into the equipment here and see if uh, if they want to continue going this because this was as brutal. And I poke as we've we've seen by far, Luke. I mean, Bilal Muhammad was was letting out just screams of, uh, you know, uh, of just awful rage there for the pain. It, it just looked really bad. I hope he's going to be okay and that he's going to be able to see fine moving forward. But there's a lot of lament to this whole situation. Like, what kind of born on under a bad sign is Leon Edwards, Luke? We cannot get this guy into a fight that matters and get him into the actual title picture. Yet, you know, he shows up in great shape and shows up to fight. And I loved the way he looked for a round plus in this fight. Showed you that the layoff had meant, meant nothing. That, you know, screw the marketing side that we sort of always damn him about. He comes to fight and he was looking good. And now he's, you know, sort of the villain and this all falls apart. And yeah, I, you know, I want to spin it back to you, Luke. Should we linger on, on the whole idea of should this been a no contest? Should this be a loss? Didn't Peter Jan take a loss when he was warned and then fouled again? Shouldn't Edwards? I mean, I don't even know if I have the right answer for those questions, Luke. Yeah, the, the, the problem with those questions is, I mean, just have a truthful moment here in terms of the situation itself as it was handled by the rules where it was ended up being um, uh, a no contest. I've been watching this sport 
off and on since the 90s, but in a dedicated, like, professional capacity for basically 15-plus years at this point, okay, on some level or another. And every week, I learn something new about the rules. Uh, last week, not so much, but do you not feel like, and Dan Hardy tweeted this on Fight Night, like, nobody knows the rules. You can have two situations that... Um, are certainly not the same, but they're not too far apart. You've got a main event. You have two very n egregious fouls, both out of a fair amount of negligence because you had you had Leon Edwards uh, warned specifically by referee Herb Dean to put his hands up, not forward, so have his fingernails, so to speak, face the sky. And he still did this. Granted, it was earlier in the bout. It wasn't a championship-level bout. But nevertheless, you have these wildly divergent situations that happen when you think there might be reason that they would want to go along the same track. And moreover, there seems to be all these different unknowns, or at least unknown to me, pockets of latitude that a referee can and sometimes does use, but doesn't always have to use. But if they want to, they can use. And you end up getting these like situations where you just have no idea what's going to happen when a fight is declared over due to some kind of injury as it relates to something that someone sustained you know, uh, from an accidental, or a, I should say a foul, um, through the course, uh, illegal blow, let's put it that way, through the course of the fight. There's, there's no real consistency, there's no real way to roadmap it other than just wait and see, hey, let's see what obscure rule reference that they decide to bring in here that creates some kind of unexpected answer. And that seems to me the much greater sense of the problem. We're doing, we have way too much latitude, way too much divergence, way too much of, I should say, rules that allow the referee to, you know, make a best case assessment of things rather than a sort of a clear, what are we looking at set of guidelines. Uh, and as a consequence, you get this nonsense all the time where we have no idea what's coming or going, how it's going to end. And I, I don't think that by itself, BC, that ruins the sport, but it creates these difficulties in how to proceed from here. So BC, the question now would be, what should UFC do? Should they let Leon go have somebody else, or do you do you run this back? That's the problem, because you, you don't want to say, like, ah, screw Bilal Muhammad. He took this fight on last minute to save it. He's not really on Leon's level in terms of rankings. And I think maybe we learned for a round and a half, although you really can't learn a lot, that he really wasn't on Leon Edwards' level here, that he should not only lose maybe his sight, Luke, but, you know, his opportunistic opportunity. But... At the same time, what are we going to learn by running this back? Not a ton. It became just to stay busy. I've had bad luck. I've been avoided. I haven't gotten opportunities. Leon Edwards, just get the frick back in their fight. Um, I don't think Leon should be rewarded, let's say, with a title fight off of this. I mean, it was it's a foul. It's a, just a bad scenario. Um, I, I think there are larger issues that need to be dealt with, not only the gloves I mentioned, but the rule sets that you mentioned. Why do we live in a sport here where every state commission's different, and even the announcers and the fighters and the fans and journalists really have no, no clue, to your point, fight to fight, you know, what is really, uh, uh, what's, oh, we're going with the knees down, one knee down, two knees down, uh, you know, I don't know, Luke, I don't know this shit anymore. Can we get a unified rules, like an actual unified rules that every UFC sanctioned fight uses or, or every major organization uses, that would be step one. Uh, step two is obviously figuring out what to do next. Could you run this back? If Muhammad can come back fairly quick, Luke, and they're both gonna stay in pretty decent shape, and you're saying to Leon Edwards, look, you, you had a lot of bad luck, you've been off for a while, 
But because of the way this one ended, you got to go out there and beat this guy. Then you can get that title shot. I mean, maybe that's the most fair way. But Luke, would you actually be excited to see this fight? No, you wouldn't. Be honest. You wouldn't, Luke. They're on different um, levels, bro. They're on, you know? I don't. The answer is, is this the most exciting fight you could put Leon Edwards in? Uh, no, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Or you might get a better or more fun result depending on any other permutation you want to come up with, whether it's Masvidal or Colby or, or title shot or whatever. Sure, in that sense, this is not the most intriguing fight. But I don't see how you, like, Leon Edwards was like, listen, I'm done with this kind of thing. He filled it on short notice. It was what it was. It didn't go well, but I'm on to the next. How are you on to the next? The last win before this was July of 2019. It's like, I understand what his impulse is. This wasn't even supposed to be what it is. It didn't go well. Let's just try something else. And again, to your point, if Muhammad can't come back soon, fine. But you're here now. This is a weird situation that was created. Certainly, there's no argument for a title shot from this at all. There's, there's only an argument for number one contender if no one else is available. You've got to do something in the positive realm. You have to stack a win somewhere in a recent time frame in order to progress to the next step. So I don't think that the Muhammad fight is the one that is like the most intriguing or the one that is ultimately the most interesting to all the parties. I actually do think you need to run this back, provided, according to your caveat there, which I think is correct, it can happen in a reasonable time frame. If it cannot, fine, you can move on. But you do have to run caveat? this back. You do have to make sure, you have to sort this before we can go on to sorting the next thing. Well, look, we both agree that Leon shouldn't, you know, be rewarded and be pushed right to the front of the line and get a title shot here because, you know, Dana said, look, if you come out here and you win this fight, uh, you know, I, I'd give you a title shot next. How about we go after the fight we we're supposed to have to begin with? Hamzat Shamaya versus Leon Edwards. We figure out what Hamzat's actual clearance and health situation is, and we go and do that fight. And Luke, for Leon Edwards, that still would serve as sort of a must-pass go before you get the fight you feel you really deserve, which is either a title shot or a giant money grudge match against Masvidal. And obviously for Hamzat, it's the ultimate proving ground to, to cut everybody in line and say, I am that, that hyped up next big thing. So uh, I'd rather wait on that fight, Luke, than figure out what's going on with Bilal Muhammad. And again, I hate saying that because what the hell did this guy do wrong? Nothing. He wanted to fight and look great against Lima, came back on short notice to try to save this card, tried to fight like a warrior, had a guy stick his finger through his soul. I mean, you know, what are you going to do there, Luke? I mean, I'm sure he could still get a another biggish fight for where he's ranked and where he's going for off of this as sort of a reward for going through that kind of hell. But no, I don't want to see Edwards Muhammad again. Let's wait on Chemayev. I'm telling Leon Edwards, sorry, bro. Bad luck is bad luck. Let's wait on that actual fight, which I think Luke offers a lot of intriguing possibilities and scenarios within it. It might, but I there, there's a risk involved there as well because we just have no clue when Chemayev is coming back. And I think if you're Leon Edwards, part of the beauty in getting Bilal Muhammad as an opponent is, generally speaking, um, he's pretty reliable about making it to fight night once the deal is signed. Uh, granted, this was short notice, but you get the idea that, that was there's some stability there. There's not a lot of stability in being the first guy to fight Kamzat Shemaev after a terrible bout with COVID. Um, although I agree, that's an intriguing fight for a lot of reasons. But a couple things I would say here. I would say that Leon Edwards, for what we saw BC, he looked to be physically more muscular, certainly leaner, perhaps. Uh, he, he, he was seeing everything. He was making good reads. But I would say a couple things. I'm not at all convinced that the eye poke doesn't happen by virtue of 
Um, like, I'm not willing to believe that Ring Rust is not involved there. I certainly, I mean, I couldn't guarantee that, but I wonder if some of those best practices about keeping yourself safe, they can happen to people who are active, but I do wonder about the inactivity being a part of that. More to the point, here's the bigger thing. Did Leon Edwards look way better than Bilal early? Yes, he did. He certainly did. But I don't know what that means in terms of having someone's cardio tested. Leon has never had bad cardio before, but he had two years off. To me, it's like virtually no... There was a... It was like window shopping, BC. We went to the window. We saw some pretty cool stuff in the window, but we never went in the store. You didn't try any of it on. You certainly didn't buy any of it. There was just no real proofing to know exactly what you were getting was quality. I still think you need that from Leon Edwards. And again, maybe the Shemaya fight is a better idea. I wouldn't go to the mat on the Bilal fight, but I will, I will say this, BC. Absent a clearly ready, better choice, I still think you go back to that. That's what I would say. All right. And, you know, look, I didn't see anything bad from Leon. He did get hit with a pretty vicious elbow from Bilal. But Luke was now, mind you, let's be let's be fairly honest here. There's like three or four fight cards going on simultaneously on Saturday. So I was trying to be like everybody else and juggle multiple screens. But, Luke, I saw, you know, Leon Edwards be sort of a, a class ahead of Bilal throughout this fight. Tell me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, it looked that way early. It looked that way early. But we've seen that in, at times, again, Knowing everything we know about Leon Edwards, that was going to be a hard fight for Bilal to win. If they rematch, it's going to be a hard fight for Bilal to win. But, dude, you've got to do something in the positive ledger to get there. Bilal Muhammad is actually, to me, a very good opponent. He's very battle-tested. He's gritty. He's tough. Um, it, to, it, it's not Again, it's not the best fight you can make, but it's a weird way to end this one. He has no real way to move forward. Running it back is not the worst thing in the world, I would say. Fair, fair, Luke. Very fair. All right. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Um, do you have? We kind of hit on this early, but like, what does this tell you about how last week's fight was sorted and ended, where it was a DQ because of intentionality, and no points taken here? Obviously, you couldn't. There was no way for Bilal to continue. But are there any lessons that we can infer from two UFC main events? kind of ending in two different weeks in, in sort of similar but different fashion. Well, look, I got an issue with intentionality. Like, are you, are you, are you content with saying, pay, sorry, let me get this right. Piotr, Jan, intentionally kicked a down opponent. We're really going to stay with that? Why the frick would a man defending his championship in a fight in which he was peaking and the guy kind of running away with it to a degree Jan was was you know Aljo slowing down Jan coming on in a big way he's gonna intentionally look he had a brain fart in the moment where the frick are we staying on with this intentional bullshit Luke uh I don't understand it either as a real value way to decide what is and isn't more significant to me it's a question of is the strike legal or not Right, it's easy that, by that by itself. Sometimes that can be difficult to kind of figure out, but in this case, it's not. It's straightforward. And now, how bad is it? Um, how flagrant was the foul, BC? You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit there and watch Tom Brady writhe in agony before I figure it out. I'm going to decide right away whether that was a rough shot that probably had a bad impact, and I'm going to go ahead and go with some kind of rule I, I prefer that sorts that for you right away. There's a clear path because intentionality. It's like, what did Mark Smith mean by that? Did he intentionally try to cheat? No. Did he intend to throw it? Yes, but he intended to throw it because he negligently 
did not understand the rules. However, as we know, the rules change literally state to state. It's a hard thing as a fighter in the moment to, to sometimes keep up with. And so for those reasons, we, we have just – this is what I mean about when the UFC went back to commissions and just handed them back the rules – they probably needed to do that to make sure they could stay on television, that the organization could continue. We're talking late 90s, early 2000s here. That was, a, that was an important step that they had to take in order to continue the existence of MMA. But what it forever did was hand the keys back to the kingdom. Have you ever seen that, that movie Zootopia, BC? Where yes. they go to the DMV and it's sloths who run the entire DMV? That's what you've done to the rule set. You've got people who are, it's the people who gave you your car today. Dude, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I ran into those same folks at Hertz rental car at the San Juan airport, Luke. So, yeah, Dude, I'm with you. I they're know they're not in a hurry that. to change anything, and they're not in a hurry at all. And so we are just kind of stuck with these really bad rules that need updating, and we're not really in a position to get there. Yeah, and, and look, where you know a little bit of the fallout from the Jan Sterling still lingering, and people coming at us for our takes. And look, I get that, but there are a lot of people, Luke, who are trying to say that um, a Sterling has a has a has a part of blame in this because he sort of stayed down in a stalling tactic, knowing the rules, knowing he couldn't get striked with the feet if he keeps one knee down. And that, uh, you know, you mix that with the confusion of the rules, the moment, right? Sometimes there's a brain fart in the moment because you're in the midst of a fight that some of that is, is uh, you know, mixed with people believing Sterling acted. Uh, do, you, do you think that there's enough there that we should readdress that rule, readdress the whole kick of a, of a, like, I get if someone's laying on the ground, you can't soccer kick them in the face. But would you like to see a change a foundational change in the rules so that there is no even hint of possibly stalling or, you know, of what we've seen in the past where somebody puts one hand or two hands down on the canvas based on which state they're in to sort of declare that they're downed. Is that an area of concern for you still in the rule set? Uh, I am less of the argument. I am less open to the argument that there is, if you're trying to argue, that there is an inconsistency in the rules in terms of the kinds of damage that we allow and the kinds of damage that we don't. And you can find two cases that side by side, there's no real meaningful, meaningful difference, but in one case, the uh, act of hitting someone there would be illegal versus the act of someone hitting someone in a very similar but slightly different case um, would not be illegal. And so you're like, why would we allow one and not the other? This makes no sense. Plus we allow for X, Y, and Z and other situations that are equally, if not more damaging. The rule set will be inconsistent. That's going to be true of almost any rule set you go to. And that's, people would like to think that there are automatically ways that you could like, you know, have a very obvious rule set. And for certain things you could like eye gouging, you know, you know, like making that a prohibited, uh, pulling the hair, that kind of a thing. Right. Um, but in general, there are, you know, it doesn't matter what rule set you construct, you're going to find a series of inconsistencies whenever you create it to account for certain things. So am I open to the idea that we could maybe allow for, in the case where uh, someone shoots, it's stuffed, they could get kneed in the head there so there's not to stall the position? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. But even when you do that, you still create some contradictions about what kinds of things, and what, when, what ways you could word rules to define it. Like if you're on both your hands and knees, but your posture is up, you can be hit. But if your posture is down, even if you're on hands and knees, actually, if you, and if you remove your hands, but your posture is down, can you hit be hit now, but you're still with two knees down? You're going to have these problems no matter which way. You're just deciding how many more things 
do you want to allow? I don't mind having arbitrariness if most things are basically allowed. So not a hill for me to die on. That's fair. That's fair, Luke. I think hopefully the UFC, which has done an incredible job throughout its history of sort of getting ahead of some of these things and ironing them out and fixing them, um, you know, they can't they can't control the judges per se when there's bad judging, but we do kind of get on them to change the scoring structure long term. Hopefully long term, Luke, we're going to get out of this eye poke business so, uh, because that was uh, there, there's some there, someone's going to lo- you'll shoot your eye out, Luke. Someone's going to lose an eyeball, I think, before we finally get. I, this I will right. say one thing about the eye poke business. And obviously, if I said this to Bilal Muhammad, he would like, you know. He would say, well, you've never been poked in the eye. I'm not here to say that what he suffered on Saturday wasn't one of the worst. Eye pokes might be the worst thing. You're watching someone like that who's that tough, you know, sit there and writhe in agony. It must be terrible. And eye pokes, like, are memorable because they do stop the action, right? There's a halt every time that happens, even if it starts right back up again, like with the warning. And I'm in favor of the UFC finding ways to have better glove technology such, such that it exists. Uh, obviously, uh, Trevor Whitman has made the claim that his gloves can do that. Certainly, would be interesting to see. Uh, but my point is this: they don't happen so much that it's some kind of reckless scandal. Like they're bad. Uh, but if you actually added up the number of fights that are decided by an eye poke outcome, uh, it's fairly low relative to the number of bouts that actually happen. So I'm in favor of changes. But this idea that it's some kind of national emergency. Uh, I'm a little bit more skeptical of that claim. I just feel like there it, it's one of those fouls, Luke, that uh, it's really hard to come back from. I mean, a man can't yeah. see, he can't fight. You know, Terry Silver once said that. No, that's true. I mean, in that sense, sometimes the numbers can be a little bit hard to understand. Again, dude, I'm I'm not in favor of just keeping what we're doing because fuck it, why change? No, like, dude, even if you prevented one serious eye injury, it's worth doing it. I just want folks to understand we're talking about the proportion of things that negatively cause outcomes that we don't like. This is on that list. I don't know how high it is on the list relative to sometimes the perception that it's the most glaring emergency. It's an important topic to take seriously. It's an important topic to address. I don't think it's the thing that I think about most when I worry about how MMA is adjudicated. Yeah, I'm worried much more about whether Hans Molenkamp is taking advantage of fighters, Luke. (laughs) By the way, have you noticed like every fighter it now has like a Han story that they're sharing on social? Yeah, yeah it's, it's near Weinstein levels of, uh, of, of, you know, get away from this guy, Luke, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go to topic number two if we can. Man, I can't bring up old Harv without you running, Luke, every time on this show. It's, what, is, this a no, is this an untouchable? Is this, is this off Who? limits, Luke? It, would you prefer if I went Cosby with this, Luke? Where are we going? Uh, you know, I mean, you are two hours late. Can we just do the show yeah. three hours late? <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll come back to UFC card. Let's talk about one of uh, BC's favorite fighters. David Benavidez scores an 11th round stoppage over Ronald Ellis, the Showtime main event BC. Okay, we all knew what the issue was. He was better than Ellis when he showed that, although Ellis had his moments. But BC, the question that we had was, did he meaningfully move himself could he meaningfully move himself closer to that Canelo, Plant, Saunders, Charlo sweepstakes? Do you think he made some improvements in getting his name more in part of that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is a tremendous performance. And you give Ellis credit, like you mentioned, for being tough. And he came out and Ronald Ellis stole that first round with surprising pressure and success. But it was all Benavides from there. Here's where I'm going to give Benavides a ton of credit, Luke. He's still... 
the guy we flock to for a reason because he's punches and bunches. He's big for the weight class. He's exciting. He's got the Mexican machismo of coming after a guy, uh, you know, Mexican-American fighter. Uh, but at the same time, he's made really smart changes. He uses his jab as a weapon now very well. And even though he's a big guy who can give up his height by being so willing to fight on the inside, He's fairly responsible defensively. It's something he said to me in my interview on Morning Combat heading into the fight that you see, you hear that a lot, you know. I don't really get hit all that much for being a, an action fighter. You watch this closely, look, he didn't really get hit all that much. He's figured out a way to, to live and die in that danger zone and still, uh, you know, be able to swivel, not get lit up. And as you're seeing in these highlights, throw beautiful combinations, go to the body with hard left hooks. I thought that was a great stoppage by Connecticut's own Johnny Callis right there. And I think in the end, it's a shame that he lost his titles, his title twice the way he did, right? The drug issue the first time, and now just, just not making weight against Angulo. Because him against Canelo could be happening this year, Luke. And that is such an intriguing mm. fight, given the Mexican heritage that would sell, given the styles of both, given that, you know, there's certain styles that, that we think maybe could give Canelo issues. You know, guys that are, that are quick. Well, how about a big guy with quick hands who can hit hard and has a lot of craft to his game despite being a straight-ahead type guy? He is as good, Luke, as advertised. I think he's one of the best young fighters in the world here at age. 24. I don't know though if if Canelo's gonna you know try to win out these belts and then figure out a new direction to go right or who else is going to be around for Canelo if he fulfills his his goals for 2021 which is to finish the year with all four super middleweight titles uh, would Canelo be willing to go after a Benavidez when there isn't a title at stake you hope he would traditionally Canelo's been that guy right that that he would but at the very least uh, Benavidez made a large statement. I love that he called everyone out. And Luke, he seems to believe that Jamal Charlo is going to come up to 68 sooner than later. And that is uh, hella intriguing uh, from that standpoint, because they've had some trash talk back and forth with Charlo saying, I'd knock that guy out. And Benavidez saying, well, come up and prove it, bro. Let's do this. And then, of course, Luke, we know the history between Plant and Benavidez. You don't need a title on the line for that to be a great matchup. He's going to get big fights, Luke. I think he's uh, he's completely uh, evolving with time. He's really on that short list of must-see guys that, uh, regardless of opponent, regardless of situation, he'll entertain you. Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is the... I don't know, you know, you need a big platform with a big fight to get out a big message. And he had a big platform, but this was not the biggest fight you could imagine. Certainly, David Benavidez is a guy we like to keep our eye on, but he wasn't fighting Charlo. He wasn't fighting Plant, right? So this was on the smaller end of things. So in terms of using what he had to make him as much noise as he could, given the circumstances, yes, I think he did do that. What's kind of funny is, like... When you watch him in this fight, you're, to your point, you know he can fight on the inside, but he can go to the outside too. The jab was doing work. His pressure against the ropes was tremendous. He has so many different gears. We talked about that on Friday as well. I actually, from a from an interest standpoint, I have a higher degree of interest to watch him fight Canelo than some of the other ones that they're talking about. Caleb Plant will be interesting, but I got to tell you, I'm a little bit more on on this side of things with with Benavides. I just think Benavides has more. I think he's got a little more gears, and I think when it comes down to it, he'll be a little bit more able to rely on durability in a long fight than someone like Plant might be able to, but you know, we'll have to see how that thing goes. But you know, when you're in a situation where you have, you have to sell yourself to your rivals, there's no real overarching matchmaking force 
um, yes, the, the sanctioning bodies want that for their own division, but really for the big fights, it's just very, very hard to, um, to proposition what you're offering as a reward to your opponent, which is really how the big boxers look at it. What do I get out of it from this situation uh, beyond just the win and beyond just, you know, big money? What's in it for me besides blah, blah, blah? And so, dude, he just doesn't have that. I don't know what to say. Like, he's doing everything he can, but there's nothing getting him over that edge at the moment. Yeah, I think he'd be an intriguing fight. Yeah, he's got a great story. Yeah, he's young. But that's just not enough. So he's going to have to do what the Charlos do, which is... Dude, they beef with everybody on social media. I saw him beefing with Jared Hurd the other day, too. He's going to have to do something like that. Yeah, and RIP to Jared Hurd's father, uh, who just recently passed away. But, you know, uh, I really like what Bermuda, Bermuda is good God, Benavidez said after the fight when he said, Luke, uh, you know, he went back to Big Bear up in the mountains for this training camp, three months away from his family, isolated himself the old school, sort of Hagler-esque way. Uh, another RIP there that we'll get to later. But uh, he said he's going to do every fight in Big Bear moving forward. And you saw the kind of shape he was in for this fight, Luke. Uh, I like to see a young fighter with a lot of potential who had some public hiccups figure out how to get past that and grow and i think that's where david benavides is at now weight issues in the past maybe partying a little too much luke who hasn't right right luke you know who i know hasn't, the thing is I, it's, I i never did anything as cool as winning a world title but I never did anything as dumb as losing it due to drugs either. <laughs> That's true. Well, at least it was at least it was the Bugar Sugar, Luke, and not uh, you know the roids, right? That makes that retains a like level of like manliness, right? Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't right. care one way or the other. Okay, Luke. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, all right, we will come back to some more boxing. Let's go back to UFC. Jesus Christ, BC. Uh, point number three here. Dan Ige. Jesus Christ. In that co-main making short work of Gavin Tucker. 20-something seconds. What was the number here? I'll pull it up in just a second. Either way, BC, question goes to you about Dan Ige. What can we say first about his development? What is, in your mind, the story of how Dan Ige has arrived at a position where he is this good, this much of a relevant contender at 145 pounds? Well, look, I, you know, I, I need, he needed to prove to us that he still was. You know, he had sort of gotten to his ceiling position. And, so this is the future and, fight, not co event, but we want to talk about just the same. Go ahead. For sure. And, and, and you know, and, and he suffered a big loss. And it was sort of like, okay, so I think this is where he is. What you love about this fight, Luke, is he's reminding you, no, I still might be that guy. I'm still getting better. I'm still a future contender there. I love the nickname 50K Ige because he goes after it, Luke. It's the same way in that Barboza fight where he was so fun and exciting. We know that's his style, but if he's going to have that killer instinct and be this wired down and be able to walk in there and just send Gavin Tucker to the uh, to the deep, dark ones, Luke, uh, the, he's a player. He's a player right now, Luke. So I like to see the I like the comeback from the loss here and how he's put things back together. And he's also one of those stories that you know he wasn't a highly touted guy from the beginning. But Luke, damn right, he's getting better with each fight. I love his personality. I love his aggressiveness. Uh, this was a very eye-opening. He may have won the night, Luke, in a, in a card in which you know you had a very ho hum, uh, um, unfortunate ending. He he really was the star of the show. Dude, here's what's interesting to me. If you look at his wins in the UFC, the three best are going to be Mirsad Bekdich, Edson Barboza, and Gavin Tucker. He's got other wins. Kevin Aguilar, Danny Henry, Jordan Griffin, Mike Santiago. 
Those are his wins. He's got one in a contender series. And his losses, Julio Arce, who's another good fighter, by the way, and then Calvin Cater, which is the one you referenced before. Gavin Sucker obviously was the last one. This was the one on Saturday. If you ask me, BC, the three best of those wins, as I mentioned, were Tucker, Barboza, and Bektich. But what's the difference? Barboza and Bektich were both split decisions. So he has two split decisions, and he gets a fight against Calvin Cater, and he loses. He was competitive in that fight, but he lost. Okay, It was five rounds. It was on Fight Island. And so you say to yourself, okay, when he's really reaching, he can beat you know some of the upper tier top ten ish guys at 145 pounds. But you know beyond that, you're, it's a little bit much. And yes, Gavin Tucker was coming in on short notice, but to me, for him to finish Gavin Tucker like this, no doubt about it, perfectly placed shot. There wasn't a thing lucky about that. That was absolutely muscle memory drilled right down into him. That was as instinctual to Dan Ige as breathing in and out was while just sitting down. He threw that right hand and sat Gavin Tucker down. To me, this is evidence of that, yes, he was good enough to beat Bektich and Barboza barely, but that he is still climbing. He is, how old is the guy? Is he 20, what is he? 29 years old. He is still every fight forming the Voltron that is the totality of his game. And I don't want to overstate things. Do I, do I think he's going to contend or win a title? You know, I don't know. That's a tough division in which to do that. But do I think he's going to enter and beat guys inside the top five? I absolutely do think that. I think he is very much poised for that kind of success because he is a relentless worker. He has shown a consistent ability through his late 20s to get better and better well-roundedly. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He finished this guy with a right hand. He's with a good team. They, have, they, they are good about preparation. They are good about competition day. By the way, he lives in Las Vegas. He's fought in Las Vegas. He had a nice win there. I just feel like there's a lot of reasons to think this guy is going to be a troublemaker for a lot of top contenders in this division. And again, I'm not here to say he won't win a title BC or he won't win a fight that puts him in a title bout. I don't know how that will go. That does seem like it's a lot given Volkanovski's up there and Ortega's up there and, and Max is still there. Hey, man, that's a hard place to find you know, your footing. But people below that, you are on notice. You are very much on notice with Dan Ige, and I really like what he's done. I can't wait to see what he can do from here. Yeah, and it, you know, you, if, if he can evolve into more of a finisher like this, Luke, and have that danger to go with his high motor and and his you know aggressiveness, uh, look, you know, whether he's is or isn't of the ability of a guy who can win a title, he's going to have that puncher's chance going after it. You love to see it. Luke, what is it about Hawaiian fighters? I love them all, Luke. There's the passion, but there's the aggression and the intensity and the balls. What's the hand thing? Or is that Jimmy Snuka? I think Jimmy Snuka once killed the hooker, Luke. Oh, this um, is the uh, Shaka? No, the Shaka is this. Shaka isn't that like a turkey? That's like a like a sexual position, Luke. I don't I don't really English, know where I'm going. The Shaka with this. is. <laughs> This yeah, 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 this is what I meant. Yes, Luke. Okay, so aloha means goodbye. Thank you. Uh, wow. Okay. Wow. Hey, Luke. You know who else looked great on this card? You know who was this? Who got the second star of the night? Who? Angela Hill. Tell me why. I mean, those two defeats she had were close when she sort of stepped up and, and had her, like Ige, her close-up moment, am I a real contender or not? You know, we all remember when Angela Hill kind of was almost like a journey woman to begin with, had losses to a lot of people. Look, the pace she put on Ashley Yoder and the finishing instincts, I've seen a percentage, um, our brethren at CBS Sports, uh, Brandon Wise shares it a lot. When it comes to betting, you know, there aren't a ton of finishes in women's MMA compared to men's, and certainly in the strawweight division, uh, my 
favorite one, you know, there's not a ton of finishes. I saw Angela Hill going for a finish there, and, and you know, she's a athletic, aggressive, volume puncher. But to see her mix the uh, the kickboxing and the punching there, Luke, and really have Yoder on the at the edge there of going out a couple times, uh, there's just an edge to her game that that is only improving and increasing. And you know, we've known her for her. Um, for her willingness to fight on short notice and fight four or five times a year. But I think she's close to really figuring out how great she can be, Luke. It's not different from the Dan Ige conversation. No, I completely agree with you on Angela Hill. She has looked phenomenal recently. She has looked, even when she lost, you didn't think she looked bad. In fact, you thought her opponent got away with one. You know, not a scandal that they won, but it uh, could have been. Could have been. Could have been a bad night for them because Angela Hill was putting it on them through long stretches of those fights. She, her game has gone from volume as in busy to now volume as in mean, as in like dangerous. She, it has really turned a corner. The tenor of it just seems a lot more aggressive, a lot more in your face, a lot more bossy in terms of who wants to like push the other one around and, and define the terms of the fight. And so I love seeing it. I would have loved to have seen her get a finish over a Yoder, but Yoder's tough for this one. And so, um, you know, that wasn't that wasn't to be. But nevertheless, I share yeah, your assessment. Yeah, we sound so excited. Awesome. We almost had a finish watching, Luke. I, I thought she looked great, yeah. Uh, okay, well, you kind of took it away from number four, BC, but I got some other ones on this card I'd like to get to. Question would be if you have anyone else. If not, let me know. But point number four, who else in the card impressed you? Yes, there were some duds on this card. But every card at this point in the stage of MMA has a couple of gems here or there. We mentioned Angela Hill, Dan Ige. Obviously, at the top, it was a disaster between Bilal Muhammad and Leon Edwards. Anybody else, though, deserving of a shout-out from this card? Yeah, dangerous Davy Grant, Luke. Uh, carries a, a whopper uh, of a right hand there. I mean, that was a great knockout against Jonathan Martinez. We know that Grant has power in the past, and he's 35, Luke. He's not knocking on anyone's door for a title shot, but he's a fun-ass fighter, and I really enjoyed not just the finish there, but the uh, the joy in the post-fight interview as well. He's a guy that I don't, when I look at a card, hadn't been a name previously that leaps out at me, but uh, shout out to the Brit right there, Luke. That was a beautiful performance, especially against a guy, Martinez, who I think we, we underrate a lot, Luke. He was a uh, performance of the night bonus winner. Uh, Mr. Uh, Davy Grant was, along with uh, Matthew Semmelsberger, and then the gentleman who I would like to mention, Ryan Spann on this card. Now, this was the co-main event against Misha Serkinov. He won via a 111 into the first round, BC. Just another one where he was able to reset lead foot positioning in a scramble and fire. I think it was a right hand for him down the pipe and sent Serkinov to uh, the land of wind and ghosts, basically. Not quite. Took him a couple of times to do it, but he eventually got it done in fairly short order, BC. You know, Serkinov's an interesting guy. He's a guy who's moved around camps a little bit. Obviously, when he was breaking Alex Nicholson's jaw from a choke, you thought, I think that's who he was anyway, uh, you were like, wow, this guy's got a hell of a squeeze. He might be the future of light heavyweight, but he just can't seem to get going. Yet Ryan Spann, who's had a couple of stumbles along the way as well, working with uh, Saif Saud out of Fortis MMA, just appears to be really maximizing. That's the one thing you get from these guys at uh, Fortis, man. They just feel like... They always come in well-prepared. They may win, they may lose, but they don't come in looking half-assed. They don't come in looking like they didn't study for the test. They always come in looking like they really, you know, they were, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing when they were supposed to do it. Look, if you would have bet me 
that uh, Ryan Spann had won nine of his last ten, and the only loss had been, you know, against some spinny Johnny Walker bullshit. Uh, dude, I would not have not have believed you, right? Uh, th this guy is starting to open eyes as well as you. I hope four to seven may sends you a sweatshirt, Luke. It's not city cuck boxing material, but you are you are loving this gym of late, all right? And I, dude, I respect that. They do that. what you want me to say. They do good work. They do good work. Uh, they produce a ton of people across a range of weight classes who win a lot. So you have to kind of pay attention to their methods. Like, why do they win as much as they do? They win because they are well-schooled, among other Where reasons. is that gym located? I think it's in Dallas. I think it's maybe okay. Fort Worth, something like that. Do you have a, a, a current power rankings of the gyms that you believe are the most elite, Luke? Is it? I mean, is it like uh, CKB, uh, ATT? AKA? I don't know that like city kickboxing has all the best fighters. That's not why I was like I'm a big fan of what they do. I think what they do is they a they do produce world class talent, yes, but they produce it uh, via some of the same old methods that everybody else does, but also some different methodology. And it's that portion of the different methodology that I actually find the most interesting. It's not so much that I think that they're the best gym that ever was. Does that make sense? Okay. That does make sense. That does make sense. Sorry, I came across a uh, a uh, painfully frightening uh, headline that said Colby Covington didn't fight Leon Edwards because quote I was balls deep in Pollyanna Viana. Uh, Luke, this is this journalism, Luke. It's MMA journalism. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you would think I'd be all about that kind of stuff, Luke, but that was a little. Can you imagine right there? Can, can you imagine? It's like we asked Larry Fitzgerald. You know, why he's retiring. I'm going to make up something. Why he's retiring from the Arizona Cardinals. And he told us it's because he's balls deep in Carol G or something. He'd be like, <laughs> what? That was I'm like when you texted me, uh, you know, R.I.P. Hagler. This, this is really hurting me. This is sad. And I'm like, can you imagine how many Italian women he slayed in the 80s, Luke? I mean, come on, you know? I mean, oh, man. I mean like look, the, at some point you got to, right? You know, yeah, okay. It was like, the, it was like the, the Inquisition up in that bitch. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, number five, BC. All right. Yes. You had, you had told us Chocolatito Estrada 2. It's happening, and Estrada oh. wins. But via split decision and immediately during the fight and then right after it so many people calling this one a fight of the year candidate why did estrada win first secondly what made this fight so good well how about i jump the gun and say first above those two luke i'm not here to say like oh i told you to watch this fight and it was great i'm here to just say like this was boxing at its very best. Like, thank you to these two 115-pound warriors uh, nine years after their first fight for going out there and putting on an absolute... Uh, I want to say war, Luke, but I, that almost demeans it. This was a showcase of what is of when boxing can be the best theater when i would say when boxing's at its best it is the best theater in sports i'm sorry it's just i mean it is this fight was just 12 rounds of perfection because it was high-paced savagery yes but the craft and skill and adjustments and adaptions that these guys showed within that insane pace they were putting on and then you add in the storyline luke i'm trying to give an mma equivalent of why Chocolatito's run right now off of those two dis 
damaging losses to Sri Sagat Sorungvisai three, four years ago. You know, that second one where he was knocked the hell out. What would be like an almost MMA equivalent of that? Look, it's almost like if Jose Aldo moved back to uh, featherweight right now and went on a run and regained his title. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like that. And if he went in there against Holloway for the belt a third time or Volkanovski. And, you know, this is what, what the feeling was like for us hardcore boxing fans of Chocolatito. At, at an age in this division when you're ancient, going back in there against a rival, against a guy who's only improved since he fought him nine years ago in Estrada, who's been top 10 pound for pound, and fighting like like his life depended on it. Luke, this was like, I mean, take your hat off. How about take your pants off? This was everything I love about this sport. This was um, the reason why you watch all them bullshit fights to get one of these every once in a while. I was humbled. I was just, uh, I mean, look, I was, I was high, I was so high on life from this fight that even the shitty Texas judges could not take that feeling away from me, which is something I tweeted out, Luke, because yes, Street, Texas forever. They will F you in the end. All boxing fans know that. So why did Estrada win? Well, look, I'm not here to crap on Estrada's performance. I scored at 115-113 for Chocolatito. Mm. I would, though, lean more in the Chocolatito direction. There were a couple close rounds that I gave to Estrada, but it was almost like my heart was saying, nah, bro, you're a Chocolatito super fan. Give it to him instead. So what I'm trying to say is I thought this was 7-5 uh, Gonzalez or even 8-4 or even worst case scenario, a draw. If you even had Estrada winning by one round, here's what I'm gonna tell you. These were close, savage, amazing rounds. The problem here, Luke, is that not only did Estrada win a split decision to effectively rob, you hate using rob when a fight is so close, but Chocolatito got jobbed here, specifically with that one scorecard by Carlos Sucre, 117-111 for Estrada. That's the reason why Estrada won, Luke, it's not fair. It's not a good scorecard. It's nine rounds to three, Estrada, which was just not the fight we saw. Um, I don't know if Carlos Sucre had some, some Bugar Sucre before this fight, Luke. I don't know where he was going with that. But even the WBA, the most uh, abhorrent of the four sanctioning bodies in terms of just doing things that outright are bad for boxing, They've gone out and suspended Judge Carlos Sucre for this scorecard. So it's unfortunate that we have here a fight in which most of us watched and said, oh my God, the legend Chocolatito. And yes, Luke, he is a freaking legend. At this age, to put on that kind of motor and savagery and fight, I thought he landed the heavier punches throughout, even though Estrada did sort of outwork him in certain moments, which again, why it was a close fight. But this should have been Chocolatito's win. And boy, did he ha handle it with such amazing class afterwards. Basically, it was like, you know, you guys know I beat Estrada twice already, but then gave credit to everyone and said, you know, this is what God wanted, so that's the outcome. It's not the end of the world from a boxing corruption standpoint, because here's the deal. You know who's the mandatory for this fight? Uh, Sri Saket Sorungvisai, the, the, mm. the Thai badass who beat Chocolatito twice, who split fights with Estrada. If we get... Estrada versus Sorung Vasai 3 next, and it sets up the possibility. Let's say Sorung Vasai goes out there and wins, Luke. That means we're getting a Chocolatito trilogy next. Let's say Estrada goes out there and wins. That means we're getting a Chocolatito trilogy next. So we're all going to win at the end of the day. But can you join me? And I, don't, I haven't talked to you about this. I don't know if you took my advice and watched it. I don't I know did. if you even care 
about a Panamanian or maybe no Nicaraguan and a and a Mexican 115 pound gentleman who went in there and just did the business for us. But what a night at the office, Luke. I love the shit out of this fight. It's your fight of the year, and I'm not effing around here. This is one of the six, seven, eight best fights I've ever seen. I loved it. I am a chocolate Cheeto lover, but also Estrada. Thank you. Jesus. I'm not sure what to add to that, BC. Uh, these, Luke, I'm the not judges, wearing pants right now, okay? The yeah. judges who got it fucked up, are they notoriously bad? Uh, not necessarily really Texas is notoriously bad, but you know, it's not like these judges are from Texas per se. Um, Texas has a shitty reputation. It's just, it's unfortunate, Luke. It's unfortunate that, that a man watched that fight and thought Estrada had won nine rounds to three. It's unfortunate. Well, uh, I don't have much to add to that. I loved it. I watched it, uh, this morning in prep for the show, thinking that the show was going to be in the morning. I, uh, Silly. I could have watched it, you know, this afternoon, still had time. Uh, but no, it was, it was reliably excellent. I did not score throughout. I, like you, kind of thought like Chocolatito had done enough in the end, but that not through the least scientific process imaginable. I would just say, uh, if you've not seen it, DAZN is the place to be for this. Go check it out. Yeah, I'm a DAZN customer, and that's the only reason I ever opened DAZN is when you tell me something is on the, like a Jaime Munguia fight is on the radar, you know? And then I'll go check it out. But this one was really, 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 really good. I don't have the same soft spot because I missed some of the early parts of the two together. And then with the TIE Fighter mixed in, I, don't, I missed most of that in real time. So I don't quite have that on well, my mind. Cool but now I'm excited to see them run all of that back if they do. And here's the cool part about this weight division and the guys in it. You know the four kings, Luke, right? We're going to talk about Hagler in a second. Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, uh, Roberto Duran. We've, we're talking about maybe the four kings of the, of the young lightweight era right now. We sort of had a four kings, what, about 15 years ago around featherweight when it was Pacquiao, Juan Manuel Marquez, Barrera, Morales. Uh, sometimes you get great fighters that are just historically joined together. What we have with Chocolatito... Juan Francisco Estrada, the aforementioned Sri Saket Sorungvisai from Thailand, and also Carlos Quadras, who Luke uh, has had thrillers with all three of these guys that I just mentioned. We've almost had a had a uh, four kings all over again of the lower weight classes. It's crazy because Chocolatito was great and even all-time great before he even made it to American television. What we've seen the last few years, whether it be on Wealth TV or then HBO for a while, is almost like... Uh, Chocolatito on fumes, the end run of it. But for him to come back and put forth a prime championship performance, it does remind you, Luke, that even though he's been fighting at the lowest possible weight classes, he's a four-division champion, he might be just behind, historically, in the modern era of boxing. That group of elites, which includes what? Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, Roy Jones, Pernell Whitaker, you know, whoever you have in that three, four of like the last 20 years of like the post Leonard Hagler era, right? Of the, of the guys who were the guys, Chocolatito's right there. So, uh, uh, damn, damn, I love this fight. Please go check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, just, yeah, oh man. I mean, look, I love, you know, I think that I love the DAZN guys, right? Grisham, uh, Sergio Mora, Chris Maggs. I think they're one of the best boxing announced teams in the game. I don't even think they sold this to the level of the, the, the emotion and the theatrics that, that, that they could have or should have, Luke, okay? Thank you. This is just, thank you, boxing. That's, that's all I got. All right, I, thank you.
All right. Uh, one you. more of these, and then we'll get to some of the questions that people have for us. This is a sad one, BC, and when I texted you, boy, did I not fall into the arms of a loving friend that day. Uh, Marvelous Marvelin Hagler died yesterday. We're talking about, as you mentioned, one of the four kings in the 1980s of uh, the middleweight division. Here was a guy who was a champion with, uh, I think it was a t something like 12 consecutive defenses um, over the course of seven years from 1980 to 1987. Amazing story, BC. He loses to Leonard very controversially. I still think he won that fight. And then was looking for a rematch, couldn't get one. Leonard retires, so uh, Hagler says, fuck it. Moves to Italy to get into movies in Italy years later. About four years later or so, uh, Leonard decides to come out of retirement, but Hagler's like, fuck that, I moved on. It's kind of weird, BC. He retired on a loss. He retired on a very controversial loss. You could maybe argue that he won, and then just went to the next stage of his life. You see so many fighters who are like, I can't go out on a loss. Like I have to have some kind of positive thing to hang on to. Hagler was is so interesting because he did so much. We'll talk about it in just a second, but I just want to talk about the ending of his career for just a second, BC. It, 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 to me, I, I actually understand it now. He, to me, was greatly unappreciated. I went back and I rewatched his Mugabe fight, which was the fight before oh, the Leonard fight. God, that's a great and fight. And the Mugabe fight, dude, Mugabe could just absolutely thump. I mean, terrifying power. And you can see Hagler wear it a little bit early, but Hagler comes out in orthodox, then switches to southpaw from the second round on for the most part, wears him down with his jab, fights with him on the inside. And Mugabe, to his credit, man, tried to stand his ground, but could not deal with the onslaught. And then at the end, in the 11th round, Leonard, excuse me, not Leonard, Hagler switches back to orthodox and then finishes him off with a series of right hooks. Mugabe can't answer it. Here's why I bring all this up, BC, because this was a guy who, to me, never got credit for the how sophisticated a boxer that he was. Leonard was kind of a little bit more of the national American hero for a lot of different reasons. But he ended his career even with a loss on his terms. He was going to chase it if it was there. He wanted it badly. And then he went on to do something else with his life. He wasn't, he was, he was concerned about solving the task to him. He was not concerned about what the public was necessarily going to say about it one way or the other. A real, authentic human, a man in terms of what it means to be a man, he's going to be greatly missed. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a he's a real fucking man. Like that's straight up, and that and like that's why that's a, such a big deal of why he's so beloved. Dan Rayfield, the the veteran boxing scribe, had a great tweet, uh, Luke, where he basically said, "Look, you know." I don't care who your favorite fighter is. Every fighter has a pocket, you know, a, a, a loud minority of, of critics against them, whether you're Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, right? You've heard all those guys criticize. He's like, Marvin Hagler is the only fighter who never, ever is subject to any criticism. And I think, what, Luke? The only criticism you can ever give him was maybe the, the, the amends that he bowed down to to Leonard in that fight in 1987 just to let the fight happen, right? The larger ring, the, the heavier gloves, just to, just to finally get Leonard. I mean, look, you remember 1982 when Leonard effed him so hard and they had that ceremony in Baltimore and the, in the ring and it was supposed to be where Leonard was going to tell Hagler, I'll finally fight you, but instead Leonard's like, and it'll never happen. I mean, like, he got her, Hagler, you nailed it. Hagler's whole career, he's no different than us in a lot of ways, right, Luke? It's been all about being underappreciated and not having the silver spoon and, and, and fighting through. I mean, he wasn't the Olympic hero. He didn't make money in the sport for a long time. He suffered losses in the 70s early on. But when he became who he became, 
You, you talk about just a destroyer. You said it. From 80 to 87, he had 12 straight title defenses of the undisputed middleweight championship. And I think, Luke, it was being looked over so many times is really the, the, the fuel. The spite became the fuel. Because his first title fight against Vito Antifermo, and I think it was 1979, uh, it was a split draw. He felt he got robbed. And then he finally gets another chance a year later against Alan Minter. And he stops Minter in London. And the crowd pelts him with garbage. And he's got to run out of the ring covering his head. Doesn't even get to like celebrate winning the championship. And, so and by the way, for always... folks who don't know, Minter took it from the guy who he had lost the split draw to. So... So, like, he had always been, you know, not the guy. And he watched Sugar Ray Leonard get, you know, millions off the top, right off the start. And yet, what did Hagler do? He co-authored, really, like, arguably the two most, you know, post-important post-Muhammad Ali fights in boxing history. The war with Thomas Hearns, Luke, which, that happened in 1985. I actually think that, along with the Rocky movies, was, like, the reason I became a boxing fan. Why? Do you remember being like six, seven years old? That shit was replayed all the damn time. Everywhere. Because it's the greatest three rounds of a hell-bent action. And it's the reason why that fight was so great, Luke, yes, because they had that insanely long press tour in which they hated each other. And Hagler famously wore the hat that said war. And, you know, he's a badass. But when when the bell rang... Hagler went right the hell after Hearns in a way that nobody did. Why? Because Tommy Hearns is one of the most devastating knockout punchers in this sport's history at any weight division. He's like Anthony Rumble Johnson. And Hagler just went right at him, walked through everything Hearns had, and stopped him in, in one of the greatest fights of all time. And then, like we mentioned three years later, which actually is the fight that made me a super fan, the one with Leonard, where Leonard comes out of retirement. You can still argue today on who won. I love that Hagler was like, F you. And he walked away for good, as you mentioned. Um, Here's a guy who could switch stances, could box as good as he could punch, but his ultimate calling card, Luke, was the chin. Dude, he never got stopped. And he was only down one time in one fight. And he still argued until his death that he slipped and it wasn't a knockdown. I mean, this is an old school freaking warrior. And it's tough to see it because he's really a major reason why I got into the sport. And I, I actually enjoyed that he... He wasn't a media whore in his retirement, Luke. You know, you saw he did the right guard commercials. He'd he'd be he'd show up at a fight and get interviewed once in a blue moon. It wasn't Sandy Koufax level of retired athlete recluse, but it was pretty damn close. He sort of lived his life his own way. And uh, good lord, what a man that man was, right? One of the most important boxers of the 20th century. You know, that's 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 where he belo- I mean, one of the most important boxers ever. But certainly if you're talking about, you know, boxers in the 20th century who had significant impacts in the sport, you know, Ali is going to be number one. But the number two through 10 list is going to be pretty goddamn important as well. And he's on that. Uh, so for me, it's kind of sad because I, you know what I also liked about NBC? It's like, you know, it's true too as well uh, to be true, which is to say look matters a lot. It's why certain fighters go for certain looks and certain boxers too. That bald head, and he was, for the 80s, bro, he was super fucking jacked, you know? And he had a high-pace, aggressive style. You just felt like that was a dude that was in command of everything that was in front of him, even when he wasn't, you know? He had that kind of just real menacing, powerful look. He fit the bill, but to your point, he he didn't try and whore it up. And if there was social media today... 
uh, which I'm saying, if he was a boxer like you know uh, in his prime right now, he'd have the most boring fucking Instagram. He'd have the most boring Twitter, and then he'd go out there and light your shit on fire when you fought him. That's the kind of the kind of guy he yeah. was, and um, he's gonna be missed, man. That's a that was yeah, a rough it, one for me. I was like, fuck, really? That guy? I mean, he beat he beat Mugabe in a war, like you mentioned. He knocked out Tommy Hearns. He arguably beat Durant. Durant. He beat Durant. He beat Durant by decision. I mean, just a insanely great career and by the way his wife did come out today and dispel any notion that he died because of a covid vaccine which was a which was an ill air report that i think it came out on tommy hearns's instagram it came out but uh that that is not what happened but uh yeah, yeah, tough to see, Luke. I, I'm glad we gave him the time in this show to really, you know, a true man's man and one of the greatest of all time. I mean, like, he's on that short list of the one, two, three best middleweights who have ever ever put on the gloves. So, and, and again, uh, we haven't that, talked man. about it. One of my favorite guys, um, they're very different fighters. They're very different boxers when they box. Max Holloway has a couple of things he's done that are similar to some things that Hagler has done. And I've talked about that. I made some videos about it. I call it the Hagler switch. No one else calls it that. I just call it that. But... Um, he is famous for something that people do call, which is the gazelle punch. He was kind of famous for this leaping jab out of range, and um, which he d- dubbed the gazelle punch, and it was highly effective. And uh, yeah, man, fucking shame that today's generation is not going to see a guy like that box, you know. But you can on YouTube, BC. You can watch the Mugabe fight, which, by the way, uh, Steven Espinosa, the head of sports on Showtime, was saying that's the first ever boxing fight that aired on showtime and i watched it today as i mentioned bc on the call al bernstein al bernstein was on the very first boxing fight on showtime still doing it to the david benavides fight from over the weekend unbelievable career that guy's had you know al's like a professional crooner on the side luke He, he uh he's like a lounge singer i love that man dude some some people like al are born with talent and then there's people like you and me yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, with that in mind, it's time for what you get to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from dogs. Let's get to it. All right, Bizzle. This comes to us from a verified account. I'm going to bo- botch the name, so please forgive me. Khaled Beydoun says, shouldn't the UFC award a DQ win? To the victim of an eye poke after a warning is issued to deter their incidents in future fights. BC, I don't know how much of a deterrent it would be if they pulled this death penalty because there's not enough of them to really have people be worried about it. But I will say, in terms of like justness and fairness, that should have been a DQ. That was an egregious eye poke. Yeah, we teased around it to open the show but didn't really hammer that home. I'm glad that this question was asked by DJ Khaled the way that it was, Luke, because uh, first of all, you played yourself there, uh, Khaled B. Doyne. But uh, I will say, Luke, uh, it would be a deterrent. It really would. And maybe maybe there is something to the idea of, I mean, look, when does it come? Does it come from a defensive stance of keeping your hands out? It comes from when people are pawing with the jab, right? As yeah, but, sort they of could, a range. They, but, but they could paw for any number of reasons. You can paw to stop. You can paw to like put a hand on something like I want to put a hand on a shoulder. And what if I miss? And I, you know, because it's, you know, it's a, it's a fight. It's fast paced. And I accidentally hit your eye. You could do it to like put your hand on their head and push them to the side. You can do it to range. Fine. There's just a lot of reasons why you might do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's harsh, but it, it it might end up being a deterrent. Luke, we do need deterrence in life, right? 
Like, I mean, there's no yeah, but a deterrent, on that guy. But you understand, like, a deterrent, like, people are like, oh, the death penalty is a deterrent. Like, you can be for the death penalty, but the idea that it's a deterrent is pretty obviously not true. There's no scholarship to defend that. So if you're going to defend it, you would defend it for other reasons. My point being is, uh, why isn't that a deterrent? Because, dude, it doesn't happen at scale in a way. Like, they're not pulling people out of their homes, marching them to the town square, and then just hanging them on mass it's not happening it very happens very rarely in a faraway place you don't know about it. it takes 20 years to get there there's no direct direct connection now yes this commission could be quicker about it than that my point being though is it to, to uh, uh, let's say a tax on every time you buy something from the store that would be a deterrent to a degree right because uh it is something you do on a regular basis. Now, if you have to get that stuff, you're just going to get it regardless. But the idea is that something like taxation, this mass scale event, that tends to influence behavior more than these one-off sort of distance away. All right, that's fair, Luke. Luke, I could see you know I could really see you in your in your old ass age teaching community college. I'm not trying to turn you into like Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting, Luke. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it would be your fault in that case. Uh, but, you know, and, and he was widowed as well. So I'm not saying anything ill there. I'm just saying I could see you, you know, you have that that tone and that that delivery, Luke. And that suit, you know, sub academic posture to all your ideas. Uh, yeah. All right. Yes. Let's go to at Telvin. Telvin Kapapa, who is more disrespectful? Telvin Kapapa, Luke, we've he's been sending in DMs since we started this shit. Can you put some respect on that guy's name? Yeah, couldn't pick him out of a lineup. More disrespected, Leon Edwards, this guy or Jay? <laughs> Can we have an honest talk about Jay? Because it is getting a little out of control, Luke. People we don't, are getting. Yeah, um, yes, people don't understand. First of all. Jay's employment has not been affected at all. He works at the exact same company, and he works at many, 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 many high-profile um, clients. He just doesn't work on this program for now. That's all that it means. And by the way, uh, you know, he shouldn't work on this program because of how much he had fucked around. But his paychecks still come. <laughs> he still drives in his Tesla, asleep at the wheel. Everything's okay, people. Quit crying. <laughs> I mean, there are people who are like legitimately concerned sending like letters to the show being like, you know, this yes. is just, it's just not good form for these guys to this, still talk this about is, this man. This is egregious. How could, um, how could you make fun of a man's employment? Well, he's fine. I mean, look, the, you know, the, the truth is documentary weekend, Luke, right? When, when Poirier had that big win. Wow, um, you know, I think I don't even think that the doc did an accurate job of compiling all the screw ups from our staff that weekend. No, they didn't. I mean, it was it was a, it was pretty much a shit show. So it's not like we said, hey, you know, fucking Jay, he's got to go. But somebody made that decision for now. And, you know, it is what it is. I still have love for that guy. OK, Pen yeah, shout also, out to Pennington James. And also, he's still collecting a paycheck. Chill. He's fine. Same paycheck hasn't gone down at all. He's it's it's OK. He just yeah. got pulled off this project, you know. Relax, everybody. All right. From Greg Leach 99 David Benavides called out big names like Canelo, Plant, Charlo, after his win on Saturday Night PC. Judging by his performance, how likely is it he gets one of those next two names, next two names, excuse me, or next names, I should say, and how do you like his chances against those top guys? I, I'll ask, I'll rearrange this question a little bit differently, BC, which is to say, who exactly is David, ben David Benavides going to fight next? If you had to guess... Are there any like obvious contenders or well it's hard because because everyone's sort of in line for Canelo who has a belt, right? So Saunders has Canelo next, Implant, 
you know, and the reports are out there that that Eddie Hearn and PBC are kind of uh, already talking about the idea. Now, look, Eddie Hearn only has Canelo through the through the Saunders fight, right? But but we don't know what's going to happen after that. Could Canelo re-sign with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom and DAZN? It's possible. There's already talks of of uh, of trying to line up this plant fight for the fall. So that takes away everyone with a title for now. If Jamal Charlo does not announce that he's going to move up this year, then we have to look up and down those rankings at 168 pounds and, and find a PBC-friendly guy. It's That's why it's sort of really hard for Benavidez right now that the Star of Stars has arrived in this division, but at the same time, uh, everyone's getting in line for him and Benavidez is on the outside looking in. So I don't know, Luke. I mean, look, I, I, I can create some other creative matchups at 168 for him involving guys like Gennady Golovkin or Danny Jacobs. Some of those are a little bit, though, difficult to make network-wise and representation-wise. But I'm sure the folks at PBC can come up with something creative. I just hope that it, it, it's a if it can't get a title fight, which it probably can't, then let's step it up. Let's get the toughest possible matchup available. It's not going to be Ed, it's not going to be Edgar Berlanga yet. That guy's still rising, but uh, there are names you're going to be able to find out there. Uh, I don't know. Um, Berlanga. You know, Ramirez just signed yeah. with Golden Boy. I think. Uh, you, sure, you sure it's you know, Berlanga or is it Berlanga? I mean, does it does it really matter at the end of the day, Luke? Turns out it does. Okay. Uh, all right, from I, at dip three eight eight six you had to respect that island you're on and i believe he came from that island or is he cuban i can't remember for no he's puerto rican luke shout yeah, out okay rican. there you go all right do you think tony ferguson from dip three eight eight six says do you think tony ferguson gets cut from ufc if he loses not just loses bc loses badly to benil dariush yeah, that fight got made, didn't it? Uh, yeah, that's I was going to do that for fight. my. I was, gonna, I was gonna do that for my um, odds and ends, but I'll just do it now. But yes, it did in fact get made. Um, this no, he's made. not going to get cut. So Wait, this, well, how many losses is he riding now? He's riding a two-fight losing streak. No, uh, he's not going to get cut. Yes. He's too big of a name, and I and I'm not acting like he's got a ton left in the tank. I don't think he's washed, Luke. I also don't think he's going to beat Habib, right? So uh, he's somewhere in between that. But no, he's not going to get cut. This is for a UFC 262 on May 15th. Uh, I don't know that we know the place for it yet. It could be Fight Island. could be This is Las really Vegas. the perfect fight, Luke, because even though Dariush is rising and I like the fighter he's becoming, I still don't know if he can even be, you know, downgraded Tony Ferguson. So I really like this fight a lot. And he is wild. He can be wild. So even if you think he's better than X or Y, um, like, I, you know, are you going to argue he's not better than, uh, what's the Hernandez kid? Uh, I forget his name. Alexander? Alexander Hernandez, yes. Like, do I think Alexander Hernandez is better than Benil Dariush? No. But Dariush fights in a way where guys like that are going to win on occasion. Ferguson has some windows by virtue of what we think are some remaining abilities, but also because Dariush just leaves openings. So that should be a, a very, not, not just an interesting fight, that should be an action act fight all action all the time so we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, all right from at 10 underscore underscore point underscore max if you were to what compare marvin name ha- it's a terrible name right. if you were to compare marvin Hagler's legendary yet underappreciated boxing career to any mma career which cage fighter would you choose and why what do you think well it's hard to call him underappreciated i mean he's a Hall he of is, Famer. He is he by outsiders. F- Boxing insiders, it, no, he's fully appreciated. But the casual I mean, fan was, doesn't really know him all that well. 
He was voted box like boxer of the decade in the '80s by like uh, a major magazine. Was it Boxing Weekly? He was, you know, a two-time fighter of the year. Oh, yeah, Boxing um, Weekly is that like filling up the newsstands these days? Boxing well, yeah, Weekly, not anymore, Luke. But I'm talking about the '80s, bro. All right. Yeah. Did um, you catch my feature in Defunct Sport Inc? Uh, dude, you remember when, like, okay, so as a kid, you'd wait, you'd hope, you know, you'd wait for the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, obviously, Luke. I'm talking about, like, 87, 88, 89. But mm-hmm. remember when, like, Inside Sport, or what was that other competing magazine? I don't know. Sport magazine. Both Inside Sports and Sport magazine. Those were, like, bootleg SIs, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Remember them? They yeah. their, their swimsuit issue was, like, borderline erotic. Remember, like they would be doing like no bikini, just a handful of boob. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right, bro. Right. I mean, what I could it, not have been the only one. What does it say about me that I tied my fortunes to you? <laughs> uh, um, so, who is the MMA equivalent to that? Um, I don't know. I don't know the, so, who would it be as someone who who achieved a lot, was a champion, super but appreciated was in the by shadow. Hardcore. Of somebody else. I mean, he lives in the shadow of Leonard, right? Still? I mean, not to me he doesn't, but yeah, he probably does. Um, do you want to say, like, is he like a Lawler kind of? Not exactly, no. Uh, now, Lawler wasn't sustainedly great. He was great in a, in a season. There was a season when Robbie Lawler was freaking great, Luke, okay? Yeah, but he's been great for but a that- long time in different ways. He was good very early in his UFC run. He had moments... Kind of had moments in Strike Force, not totally. He had some moments in Elite XC, um, Super Brawl. Uh, what about Holloway, who's not a champion, who kind of lost to Volkanovski very controversially, loved by insiders, not necessarily like the world's biggest star, although has a name. Something like that? Yeah, that's fair. There's, there's no clean comparison, because you're partly comparing... Not merely eras, as in um, you know the the sport was different in the 1980s, but sport was generally different in the 1980s. And I think um, you're trying to compare eras across two different sports, across two different times, across two different ways in which sport functioned. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Yeah, it is going to be hard. Uh, wow, this is a fun show, Luke, for a shit show, right? I can't believe they pay us for this shit, but they do. All right. Uh, BC, I got to hand the show over to you. Is it going to take you an hour and a half to get through this segment? You going to do it yeah. island style? <laughs> Woo! Here we go. Uh, we scour the globe, Luke. The good, the bad, the ugly, the in between. I'm trying to find my email here with the links. Uh, it's called "Have You Seen This Shit?" Have you seen yeah. this shit? Wow! 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 And we're back. All right, Luke, we start UFC fight night in Vegas on Saturday. Did you see Air Jordan jump off the cage to land that punch against Marcelo Rojo? Luke, I don't know if I've seen this shit before. It's borderline Michelle Pereira. Yeah, but didn't Rojo win this or no? Did he lose? No, I thought Jordan won that. But did I he don't win know. this one? Yeah, you're right. He did. Yeah, he stopped him. Oh. You're not impressed by this performance? Uh, yes. I'm not sure I can remember it. Did I see this one? Yeah, he scored a knockout. Uh, but yes, before this is that, before he the Angela Hill weird, fight. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry, this weird yes. Showtime Pettis bullshit. Isn't Rojo it, though, the man? guy that did the, the, the T-Rex compa- like, like celebratory dance in uh, Combate Americas? Yes. Is that the same guy? He looks I like him. Yes. I, 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 I dead wrong me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the same guy. 
Dude, I love that guy. All right. Hey, we mentioned Dan Ige getting the 50K. Why don't we just show it here? It only took 22 seconds for him to send Gavin Tucker wow. to the uh, to the Pulp Fiction basement where Ving Rhames was waiting with a ball gag. <laughs> Look, yeah. Wow. That's to the a, land a, of wind and ghosts. Wow, yes. boy. Yeah, I didn't even realize we were talking about Ige in the show. I should read the rundown more often. Uh, Luke, you mentioned Matt Semmelsberger also had a sick I literally, KO. Jose, I literally send you the rundown before I send out the rundown to the production staff where you can then see the other finished version of the rundown. And you, before I send it to the production staff, I ask you to overlook it and give me your thoughts and you wrote works for me on yeah, text well, yesterday. I was, I was at the store shopping for dress shirts, Luke. I, I, the early model rundown looked for me. I skimmed it. looked good. Hey, look, Matt Semmelsberger needed just 15 seconds to take Jason Witt's lights out. Did you see this shit? Yeah, don't punch in uh, kicking range. Damn. Can we see that one more? Wow, well, that guy's say, effed Sorry, up. the opposite. Don't kick in punching range. Pop. Oh, God, that was great. All right. Hey, look, it's regional MMA time. You know anything can happen. You want to see the regional MMA KO of the year? Check out this shit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Luke, when they fall face first, you don't have to count. You do have to get the stretcher out, though. This guy's done. White guy, wow. guy was like, you see how you just stole on me by tagging me with his right hand right here? I'm going to let yeah. you do it again, player. Wow. Oh, speaking of regional MMA, check out this slam, bro. Let's let the boys be boys on this one. This is great theater. Is this MMA? What are they wearing? Kick pads? Shin pads. Oh, is Jesus. Is this pro this MMA? Guy. What is this bullshit? Oh, uh, here comes the head toss. That's when you know they're good grapplers. I love regional MMA, Luke. Oh, God. Wow. Yikes. That's what you Yo. get, dude. That's what you get for doing that shit. Rose just rolled over in a grave on that shit. Wow. Not way. Well, yes. All that right. was different. Hey, that, Luke, was off, that was off the Kimura grip, but yeah. Luke, you actually DM'd me something this week on IG that wasn't Big Booty Latinas. Check this out. Here's me trying to explain to JMMA that I was just joking about Risen, Luke. I love it. I love that Japanese shit, Luke. <laughs> I know. This is me tweeting about anything controversial. <laughs> oh, that's great Dude, stuff. Dude, well, hey. what is this shit where this lady is tied to this two fucking pieces of dental floss? And below her is a pit of fucking crocodiles. What is this shit? She's screaming for her life. It's got to be a Japanese game show, Luke. They do amazing stuff over there. I love it. I guess I love so, it. dude. This shit is wild, man. Those crocs were hungry as fuck. Isn't this what Art Davey wanted for the original UFC? To have a moat around the cage with, yeah. like, sharks with freaking laser beams in it? Yeah. 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 With crocodiles, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. But they hey, didn't have money for that shit. Real fights. Let's go to one championship, Luke. Did you see this double crucifix stalemate that broke out? I don't know if I've ever seen this before. Let's see. Uh, that's a that's a tie, Luke. That's a tie. I think you kiss at that point. If that happens, that you, is, you gotta... that is interesting. I had never seen that. Yeah. All right. They do, I'm sure 54 trillion people watch that too, Luke. All right. Hey, are you been keeping up with uh, with with uh, the Apprentice One Championship Edition, Luke? <laughs> with I would literally Chach? rather watch you do pornography, and I mean that. So yeah. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> 
Wow. All right. Look, that's interesting. Hey, you know John Jones has really big brothers. Did you see Chandler Jones take on this blocking sled this week, Luke? So I actually was uh, in Baltimore. Jesus Christ, that guy. <laughs> Jesus. I was in Baltimore, and I went to the bathroom. And uh, when I came back to wash my hands, Chandler Jones was like two sinks down from me. Yes. Like, John is about my height. Uh you know, obviously he's got different proportions and he's an athlete. Chandler is like significantly bigger than me, like two, three inches taller, you know, wide as a fucking uh, wall, muscular beyond all. Like, like you ever seen those dudes who you see them in person? You're like, they don't have a normal job. I don't know what exactly this yes. large human does, but it's, he doesn't go to an office. That's the Dude. feeling you get when you see Chandler Jones in person. He's not a normal human in terms of his proportions. Whatever John's fight was, uh, I think it was the Maheta fight, uh, on the way into the arena, his two brothers went up to the VIP window, and it was like seeing the first time I saw Shaquille O'Neal in person, to your point, where you're just like, oh my God, that guy's yeah. just large, just like, holy crap. I mean, they're, they're freak athletes, Luke. And, and also, wow. like Arthur, to, to like the point about Chandler, obviously football heads will tell us better because they follow this stuff more closely, but... You know, John, I think, is starting to slow down in his career a little bit. It doesn't mean he's going to lose. I'm just saying I think he's slowing down a little bit. Arthur, I think, is out of the league. Uh, Chandler is still, you know, just absolutely fucking balling in the NFL. He is a force Ooh. to be reckoned with in that space. All right, Luke, let's go to the zone boxing in Dallas on the undercard of Chocolatito. Do you see the superhero ring entrance from Raymond Form? Is this, I'm sorry, Raymond Ford. Is this Black Panther, Luke? I think that's Black Panther. Although yeah, I don't nice recall the Black there. Panther suit having that many abs. <laughs> Interesting. All right, let's keep it going. Hey, Luke, this video gives new meaning to re-racking your weights. Is this a uh, normal gym uh, etiquette? <laughs> Dude, what the fuck did we just watch? All right. Now, Luke, now I, I have seen porn that you're in. My <laughs> God. <laughs> I mean, what's a just a little love between friends, Luke? It's all good. All right. Let's go back to the fights. Lion Fight 64. Luke had an incredible KO in the main event on UFC Fight Pass. Here's a fan video of it first. Spin. He spins here. Bop. Oh God. Now let's see the uh, traditional uh, reverse angle on the uh, broadcast. Luke, I don't know what this guy's name was, but this is bad. Oh, there they are right there. All right. Yeah, this is a 360. Good Lord. Steve yeah. Walker putting it on, Brian Collette. Wow. Well done there. Yeah, All that's right. Nice. That's nice work. Uh, back to the box in the UK over the weekend. Gary Cully with some crappy tattoos. But check out this left cross from Al Luke. Yes. Yeah, nothing bullshit about that left hand. Let me see his feet. Go back to the, 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 the beginning here. Let's see. See if he takes the lead outside step. Steps on his foot, just as good. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, that's so good. That way, he, that way, the so most good. he can get if, when you step on their feet like that. The most that they can do is like a, it lets you know where they are, right? So I know exactly how close you are. B, they can only anchor step at that point, right? Because they're kind of locked into space, and it gives you basically all the functionality of the angle. That's that's good work.
That's good work. Gary Cully rocking aggressive tattoos a la future UFC champion Kevin Lee there. That's interesting. All right. Hey, Luke, let's go over to the Honky Tonk Bar, where like regional MMA, anything can happen. Luke, come for the bowl, but let's stay see. for bust the... Her teeth? Stay for the scorpion here, Luke. Spoiler alert. I love the middle fingers at the beginning, Luke. Oh, oh old wow. spine buster. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Get her wheelchair. Yep, yep that is, wow. Uh, a couple, Luke, a couple uh, Tito's and Soto will fix that. All right, Luke? Yeah, all right yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Wow. Mark. <laughs> Oh, good God. Hey, Luke, let's go out to your front lawn here. Luke, a lot of people believe that this will be what happens when you allow that homeless guy to just sit in with you and spot you for once, Luke. This guy could be doing your chores. Check it out. By the way, I figured out it's this guy. Let me answer this. This guy is who Jake Paul is. Do you want me to explain what I mean by that? Sure, sure. So this guy who's doing this, that's a safety squat bar which is designed to bend you forward when you descend. Um, so you have to like really work on your posture and your knee travel to keep that up uh, without you know hunching too far forward. It's just a different, and plus it puts the weight sometimes, depending on how you have it, puts the weight a little bit lower than being high on the bar, but okay, neither here nor there. Uh, this guy's name is Juju, uh, Juju, Juju Mufu is his name. I don't know what his real name is, but that's his YouTube name. And he's basically what I would call a stunt lifter. He does more than lifting. They do bodybuilding. I would call him like a stunt strength sports kind of guy where he actually is pretty fucking strong. He's got like a plus 600 deadlift. Um, you know, he's got some other stuff that he does that is like for like circus feats. Pretty impressive. That's so, but he's not really like if he went to any actual meet, he would get fucking smoked right like any like high level national meet he wouldn't win shit forget the international meet that's sort of like what jake paul is he's a stunt boxer and what i mean by that is dude doing stunts is hard it's not easy like you actually have to have a level of skill plus if you want the stunt to work hello you have to have a level of skill but like you wouldn't say that the stunt boxer is doing anything that the normal boxer could be or could be considered like equivalent tasks they're not one's a sort of a very strategic version of the other one. I like to consider myself a, a stunt co-host, Luke, okay? Yeah, More traveling less, right. through Latin America and finding out that it doesn't work like it does here. All right. Hey, did you see this video from Michael Chandler? Luke's uh, sending a special message to Dustin Poirier that he's ready for all the smoke. You can drink it because of that canola oil that's in it. I think the, I think that's his way of saying fight me. All right, and then he's What's of course he singing. singing uh, he's singing "Dreams" by Fleetwood Mac. He's basically recreating that that Ocean Spray video. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah, with the dude on the on the skateboard. I yeah. would rather see all that right. than the third fight with Connor, but we all know that shit ain't happening. So yeah, yeah. Hey Luke, this will be me one day when MK gets canceled and my family leaves me. And it's just me and my homeless cats living our best life, going to P.F. Chang's. I mean, this is, there is look at this there guy. Is, let me explain something to you. There, this guy's missing teeth. He's got a fucking one vehicle step up from a rickshaw. Uh, his life is better than ours in every way imaginable. I want you to, I want I to be clear I love this. That. Dude, this is Reggie Jackson. Get ready. This is totally me, Luke. This is going to be by great. By the way, those, hey, dogs, those dogs are super chill. They love that shit. That's good. This guy's the best, too. I love that man. I, I want to be a lot like him. Hey, Luke, it's time for some art to close out here. We're almost done here. Luke, is this art? Check out the Burning Man here. I, this is incredible shit. 
I'm telling you, Luke, you know, we all have different kinds of art, and uh, this guy is tremendous. Look at the speed, too. This is my wife trying to scratch my back. <laughs> it's a, is it, a, I think it's an upside down horse. That guy's got a lot of free time, Luke, but that's really good. That's art, okay? But uh, is this art, Luke? Actor David Spade put out an interesting tweet with some light switch art. This is art that I made in fifth grade. <laughs> All right. Hey, Luke, remember that guy John Wayne Bobbitt from the 90s? Yeah, the one who got his hog sliced. Oh, Jesus Christ. What are we doing, dude? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Dude, how did this... I'm going to wake you up on camera at the next Morning Combat documentary just like that, Luke, okay? <laughs> well, dude, that is some seriously disturbing shit. You need, you, need to, you need to see a doctor. All right, one more, Luke. This is uh, that moment when you realize you have... Oh, no, we got... Sorry, we got one more here. Luke, this is you in about 40 years at your local bar when they decide to play Sweet Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to be the old lady who gets bodied? Oh, shit. <laughs> You're going to be that guy. You're going to be Phil Spector in the red pants there. Look Dude, at and him. then the old lady gets on top. <laughs> Good take she's down. Like, recovery. Like, Good transition. She's like, fuck your hi-hat. Hey, mom. <laughs> fuck you, mom. <laughs> More cowbell. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yo, look, at it. look, the bass players are sitting on. Oh, let me just tune my shit. <laughs> you see him? He just, he's like, you know what? Well, let me just tune this shit. Get E minor up in this bitch. I ain't getting enough E minor. Yeah, yeah it's a blues riff in G. Watch me for Watch. the changes. You see the old lady? Look at, look at him. He's like, oh, that bitch is dead as shit. I'm going to keep on playing, though. Oh, you Luke, know what? man. Uh, let me hit that G high note. Let me hit that G high note. <laughs> I think the drummer was playing the cymbals on the way down, too. All right, Luke, one more for you. This is that moment when you realize you're eating too many edibles each day, Luke. This is coming for you, okay, bro? All right. Yeah, yeah. All right there. Uh, what was the point um, of this game? <laughs> Luke, that's the shit. That's all I got, okay? But shout out to Broward versus Date, a heck of a... Uh, you know, Danny Segura jumped in my DMs with this account. You know, maybe he's running it. I'm not sure. but uh, You know what? Florida is... I asked Danny. I talked to him the other day. I was like, Danny, how you doing down there in Florida? He's like, Florida's Florida, bro. You know. Yeah, you know how to navigate is. the space. Yeah, uh, all right, BC, let's get out of here while we still have our audience, what's left of it. Uh, odds and ends, what do you got? Yeah, so we, we had a DM question the other week about uh, the, the Mount Rushmore guitarist, and I kind of bricked in the moment on it was caught off guard. I just wanted to repair that quick. Look, for me, it's Hendrix. It's Eddie Van Halen. It's Dickie Betts and Jerry Garcia. They play a similar style. But you know the most egregious one I left off, Luke? Jeff Beck. And I think we've been um, misled on classic rock radio, right? Because of Jeff Beck's very eclectic career, where yes, he did, you know, especially with Rod Stewart fronting the Jeff Beck group, had some great rock hits. But Luke, what he did instrumentally in the 70s, I'm talking about the albums uh, Blow by Blow and Wired, when he got into jazz and fusion and just next level shit, Luke, um, I mean, outside of Hendrix, who's just an alien, who's just a supernatural freak, 
I think Jeff Beck might be the greatest guitarist of all time. And I think it's a shame that he's Hagler-esque in terms of the underrating of the great Axemen in history. But really, he is uh, the beginning reason in this turn to vinyl and this turn to full-on jazz fusion for me in the past few months of uh, of how I got here. He was that, that gateway drug and that transition point. So I wanted to close out my, mush, my Rushmore by putting the great Jeff Beck on there and saying, uh, you want a song for the day? Go, go search on YouTube, Nadia by Jeff, Jeff Beck. So basically it's a, it's a Indian song sung by a female and he loved the sound of her voice so much that he figured out how to play it on guitar. It's exceptional. It'll probably, it's, it'll change your life, Luke. Okay. Maybe not yours. You might be too far gone, but, uh, wow. I did want to put a, a ribbon on that. How long is this show? Three hours, Luke? Yeah, well, Lord. it's three hours late. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> We should get going. All right, my odds and ends was just Ferguson versus Dariush. On, um, yeah, who cares, right? Who the heck yeah. cares? Look, I gave myself a haircut last night at midnight in the mirror. They're probably let's see, not let's advised, see the damage. Right? Let's see the damage. It's probably not advised to, to do that. Right? So this place I go where you get the $100 haircuts, they have a new thing, BC. It oh, might, might make you rethink the haircut. Oh, Jesus, that looks terrible. My Lord. Yeah, I got some holes here, Luke, right? I got to get back in the mirror and fix that shit. The place that right. I go to now, A, it doesn't have to be 100 It's actually less because they don't wash your hair anymore, so that takes off like 10 to 15 bucks. But yeah. on top of it, if you go back within two weeks of getting your hair cut, they'll trim it up to exactly how you had it for free. How about that? Dude, that's 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 badass. I had a deal with uh, my Portuguese barber Joe in the in the two uh, thousands, Luke, where I'd come every Friday for an update, right? Because because when you're single and you're trying to get chicks, you get that fade updated every Friday. You're gonna get chicks, bro. It's a proven fact, all right? Hagler yeah. got got updated every Friday. Was was hammering out Italy, Luke? All right, yeah, woo, yeah. Well, all I right. bet he was doing some hammering. Uh, yeah. All right, we got to get out of here. So first things first, if you want to try Showtime, you can Showtime.com. You could try it free for 30 days. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. Uh, if you, again, $4.99 for the first six months when you sign up to get Old Bellator. Uh, let's see. We got some merch. Store.show.com is the place there. If you'll you know, be on the lookout for it. If you want to email the show for dead wrong or a fan submission, anything, morningcombat at gmail.com. That is the place to go. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Speaking of the name Morning Combat, on social, it's the same name everywhere for YouTube, for Instagram, for Twitter, but BC and I, our names differ between those two services, so um, take a screenshot, then give us a follow a little bit later. And uh, that's it, BC. Anything else before we let yeah, you go back they, to... No, uh, thank you. To, Luke, thank you. Thank the listeners for their flexibility. Thank everyone. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. All right, I have another job like you, Luke, with Sirius XM. Um, I'll be... I'll be you know, I'll be on NBC Sports the next two Thursdays covering some boxeo. So uh, thank you for allowing me, Luke, to still do this show. And uh, I saw Bill and Ted's, uh, the new Bill and Ted movie on the airplane on the way here, Luke. <laughs> good God. No good? Oh, my God. Oh, my oh my God, Luke. It's so bad, bro. It's so bad. Yeah. It actually got yeah. decent reviews. Now I'm disappointed. Shit, I had planned to see that at some point. No, no, no. No, don't do no, that. Don't do it. Go see the yeah. Mauritanian. It's on uh, on demand. Go see that instead. Okay. All okay. right. You big Schindler's List guy, Luke? It's not that sad. Jesus Christ, the guy's still around. <laughs> I once got to second base during watching that movie, and no, it wasn't a, si a Seinfeld reference. It actually happened, Luke. All right. 
Okay, that's great. I don't care. You're weird. Uh, does, that make, right. does that make me a bad person, Luke? Luke, does that make me a bad person here? Do we just get shut off? Can you, you know, I just, listen, Sandusky, I don't care about, you know. <laughs> oh, you hey, do. Luke, wait, Luke. Luke, there's, we didn't mention, how did we not mention uh, the Anthony uh, Joshua Tyson Fury fight seems really close now that, that there's word that the two-fight deal is uh, either finished, they don't have a date or a site, but it looks like we're really close financially to getting that twice this year. You believe it'll happen? I'll believe it when it happens. How about that? Okay. Okay. All right. Boxing is a great sport, just not the bureaucrat. I wish that you had the same erection I had watching Chocolatito on Saturday. You, you really undersold it, Luke. Uh, I did not undersell it. I just let you tell the story because you're going to tell it better than me. Can I go? It's 3.30, motherfucker. I got <laughs> shit to do. I've been waiting on I'm you all kinda, day. I'm kind of lonely here on this